Um, there is actually in this week's parsha, and we're not going to talk about this, but just as a, a pre-point of interest, towards towards the beginning of the parasha, there is that family tree, the lineage, uh, that's there seemingly to be Miyaches Moshe. And um, in it, it, it explicitly, explicitly points to Moshe's parents, who we met anonymously when he was born, and it's Amram is one of the sons of Kahat. And it says, Which, by the way, is an erva. Right? He married his brother's wife, his brother's sister, sorry. Uh, his, his father, sorry. He married his father's sister, Dodato, his aunt, uh, which is an erva, no question. And that's a problem. But again, the answer is primatan Torah and etc. Uh, interesting uh, thing is I noticed that in the Septuagint, it translates it as he married Yocheved, the daughter of his father's brother, which of course cleans it up. Now the problem is that the Septuagint in Bamidbar just calls her aunt, and we can't find any text that says Bat Dodato. So it seems like there was somebody with a loose hand there who was trying to kind of clean up the act and make it that the parentage of the most important Jew that ever lived is not somewhat problematic. Right, stop. But again, that's not the main point. I want to talk about the central piece of, of Vaira, which is, of course, the Makot. Uh, the Makot, to be honest, continuing to Parshat Bo. But if I ask the question, how many Makot were they? So you ask an, a kid, and he'll tell you straight off, 10. You ask somebody who is perhaps familiar with the Haggadah, They'll tell you hundreds. So we're going to take a look at both of those sources because the Torah never tells us how many makot there were. And it does not really call most of those things that we refer to as makot, doesn't call them makot. Sometimes it uses the word vayach, that Hashem smote, the same word as makot. Sometimes it doesn't. And so the question of how many makot there are, which is a purely academic question, but not necessarily. We're going to take a look briefly at the references to the Makot in the Torah. We're not going to read through the Parshiot of the Makot in Vairab. And then we're going to see two examples of how the Makot are used in song. But when I say song, I mean Tehillim. Uh, and how not only the number, but the usage of the Makot as a historic model is different. We'll start with the beginning. Uh, in the four psukim that you see in Source 1, which are from Mikra Bikurim, Dvarim Chavav, and are well known as being the core of the material for the mitzvah of Magid, Arami, Oved Avi, etc., right? And the, each one has a theme. The first theme is Galut, the second is Avdut, the third is Tefillah, and the fourth is Geula. I want to look at only the fourth. And we've talked about this pasuk in the past, in some of the pre-Pesach shiurim, uh, about this drasha on this last pasuk. And then I'll fill in Hashem velo malach, Hashem velo saraf, Hashem velo shaliach, etc. Now the earliest source for the midrash on this that I could find is in is in um, um, Rav David Hoffman's Midrash Tanaim, he didn't write, of course, but he's the one who published it, the Midrash Tanaim uh, of Dvarim on that Pasuk. And you'll see it's a little different than you're familiar with from the Haggadah, but for our purposes, it's essentially the same thing. 
Without the pasuk then we're familiar with that from the Haggadah. a strange drasha, which is also as difficult and a different source text um, than the one we use in the Haggadah, which is really about Matan Torah. Here it's very at Yamsu. Same pasuk that we use in the Haggadah. And that's again the same pasuk that we have, that we use in the Haggadah, which is from Yoel. I don't know wherever you're sitting right now, whatever country you're sitting, you're right now taking whatever drink is in front of you and dropping some drops on the table. Now, the Varachir. Biyar Chazaka Shtoim. Why Shtoim? Because there's two words. Yad So Hashem took you out with a bing bang and a bing bang and a bing bang. Uva otot, otot is plural, shtaim, umoftim, shtaim. So five times two is elu eser makot, shevia kadosh parachol amisim mitraim. And in the Midrash Taraim, it doesn't even list them, it just goes straight to Rabbi Yehuda's Siman or Simanim, the Tzachadash Biachav. Okay, this is old material, we're familiar with it. But it's important to note that this is the first place because nowhere in Tanakh, and nowhere else, nowhere else in Tanaitic literature, or in in the Gemara, is there? A, it, well, certainly nowhere else in Tanaitic literature is there an identifier of Esser Makot, the, the, the number. But this seems to be, or at least not in early Tanaitic literature. But this seems to be the source of the idea of Esser Makot. Now, there's a midrash that we're all familiar with, which we don't really know its source. It could be that this is the source, midrash Tehillim. And that is the expansion of the Makot. It's a very popular passage in all of our Haggadot, right after that passage in which lists the ten Makot. And that is based on the Pasuk in Perak Ayin Chet of Tehillim, which we're going to look at in a couple minutes. And in the middle of that Perak, which is towards the end of that Perak, in describing some of the Makot of Mitzrayim, and therein lies the Rub, says, Yishalach Bam Charonapo Ra'im. God sends his anger and his venom and his angels of vengeance, etc., against them, them being Egypt. Now, Rabbi Yosek Lili Omer, Eser Makot Lakua Mitzrayim B'Mitzrayim. Shemar Etzba Elohimi. Watch where he gets Eser Makot from. Rabbi Yosek Lili doesn't get Eser Makot from Yad Chazakashtayim, etc., but he gets it from Etzba Elohim He, and that's referring to one of the ten, which is Kinim. And therefore, if a finger... Is uh, uh, is one tenth of the digits you have on your hands? Then that means there were ten makot. Uvayam laku chamishi makot. How do we know that there were five times as many at the sea? Shemar vayayisal the yad agdola. Vayad chameshet spaot. Right, five fingers on the hand. Rabbi then says arba makot. Now, what does arba makot mean? He means that every makah was arba makot. Shemar etzbay aluhim he tetragon. You recognize that word. It's a four-sided thing. In other words, he is the idea is you have four fingers on your hand. And so this is only one of the four fingers. And each makah has four components to it, four sides to it. We'll talk in a minute about what that may mean. So that times 10 is arba'im makot, which means he started with an assumption of 10 and then multiplying it out. And therefore, we're all familiar with this which is that at Yamsuf, whatever it was, was 50 times as much. 
right? Or five times as much, sorry. And this is now the source for the idea of four makot per makat. Evra is one, Zam two, Saraz three, four. Again, you know this from the Haggadah. In other words, this is expanded a little more clearly in our Haggadot. But what he essentially is saying is that each Makkah in Mitzrayim was made up of four Makot. And he gets that from Etzba Elohim He. And the idea is you have four fingers on your hand, not including the thumb. And so um, that means that the, the finger is really representative of four different components. And therefore, if there's four per makah, and there are ten makot, if he's assuming ten makot, that's 40. And if the whole Yitziat Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim, Makot Mitzrayim, was one finger, and he created Yamsuf was a hand, five times as much, do the math. Rabbi Kiva then adds in, meaning every makah, and where did he get that from? He gets it from Etzbay Elohim, he pentigonhu. Now you know that word. So in other words, he says, including the thumb. So therefore, um, you, you instead of counting four per, per makah, it's five per makah, and then the rest of the math. Now, again, we're familiar with this, and even though it gets there a little differently than we're, than we're accustomed to from the Haggadah, it's the same result. So when I ask how many makot were there in Mitzrayim, so the stock answer is 10. That's the Jeopardy answer. The Jeopardy question is, what is 10? Uh, you want to get your money. But the answer that the Midrash provides is perhaps hundreds. Perhaps certainly in Mitzrayim, 40 or 50. Now, why would that be the case? So, of course, there's all sorts of commentaries in the Haggadot about uh, the Chachamim engaging in some of the number game number games, in order to increase Shavach for Hashem, more Makot, the famous Vort, which may or may not have been said by the Gorah, that whatever the Egyptians suffered, God promises he won't make us suffer. So the more we can describe their suffering, the more things we won't get. That's, of course, not very helpful because it doesn't list what the 40 of them were. But reality is that every Makah, and it's something that we can all appreciate really sadly, um, today and any time in the past few years, every makai has a ripple effect with all sorts of other consequences that you could not foresee. Think about COVID, to stay on safer ground, less painful right now. All the different things that got impacted, there's the makai of COVID, but there's also the makai of, of not going to work, and there's the makai of social isolation, and there's the makai of what's happened in our education to our kids. All sorts of other effects that emanate from them. So you could simply understand how a makah can really impact on and become several makot. So therefore, we would start with, sorry for the pun, a base of 10 of makot and build out from there because we know eser makot. Now they say each one of them had an impact in different ways and so therefore we could talk about hundreds. However, when we open up Tehillim, we find that there are two Pirkei Tehillim, Ayin Chet and Kufei, that also mention the Makot, but instead of expanding on the Makot, they actually limit the Makot, and they down-number down the Makot, not downgrade. And they are Ayin Chet, which is a Mizmor, a very long Mizmor. It's a historiosophic Mizmor, presenting kind of a, a litany of Am Yisrael's rebelliousness throughout time, 
and their unwillingness to heed both the words of the Nevi'im, but also the chastisement of Yisurim, and continue to rebel, it concludes with God's rejection of Shiloh and of Yosef as the center, and his, and his designating and choosing David and Sion as the center, and that's kind of the end of the parak, a very long parak that only ends with David, but seems to be kind of centered around getting there. But the theme of the Perek is Am Yisrael's constant um, rebelliousness and, uh, and nonetheless, Hashem still having compassion on us and allowing us to move on and supporting us. Perek is a very different theme. The Perek is really part of a, of a three-part, a three-Perek sequence, Kufei Kuvav Kuvzayin, which is um, historic record of Hashkachat Hashem. And this, which is the first parak, takes us pretty much to Yitziat Mitzrayim. And how all the way Hashem has been providing for us and taking care of us and doing the surprising. Taking a slave and turning him into a king, Yosef. Taking Yaakov and having him move down to Mitzrayim. In other words, turning fortunes inside out. Okay. Now, when we look at Perak Ayin Chet, and I've highlighted them for you, I gave you the introductory lines, but it's in the middle, and really you should see the whole Perak. Um, in in um, Ayin Chet, which is again about Am Yisrael's unwillingness to heed God and the readiness to rebel, Lo Yado Yom Padam They forgot about God's hand in redeeming them from the enemy. Asher Sam Mitzrayim Ototav Moftav State So On. He put his signs, meaning his, his wonders and his signs, um, in Egypt, state so on is Tanis, but it's a, it's a uh, poetic way of referring to Mitzrayim. And now watch. Right? So, dam, turning the rivers into undrinkable. Interestingly, we start with dam, but then we don't go to Tzfardea, we jump, sorry for the pun, to Arov, and then back to Tzfardea, and they both devour, evidently, the crops. Then to say otherwise what they're devouring. Chasil is a synonym for Arbeh. There's a number of them. And that means that their produce was now given over to the locusts. Suddenly we've skipped. And if I'm going to number them, we've done one, four, two, and then uh, eight, um, suddenly Arbe, and then Yarog Barad Gafnam, and then he destroyed it, destroyed their vine, their their vineyards with Barad. Chanamal may be another word for Barad. Shikmotam um, seems to be referring to the trees, the Shikma. Barad Biram, and then uh, he destroys their Ba'ir, their grazing animals with Barad. May be another name for Barad. And now the sort of central descriptive pasuk, Again, that's the piece that we got four or five makot out of. And then, He didn't hold back death from them, and he gave dever to their animals. And then,
He killed the firstborn in Mitzrayim, all right, etc. Now, notice, what makot do you see missing from there? Kinim, Shechin, and Choshech. Right, exactly. Kinim, Shechin, and Choshech. Now, the order here is itself something of interest, but what's here and what's not here is also of interest. But also, the way it's described is of interest. All of them. Because what's happening is the Mishorer, the poet, the author, is taking, and in this case it's Mizmor Asaf, um, is taking the record of the Makot and utilizing it for a purpose in this song, in this psalm. We have to see what the purpose is, but first let's see what he, what part of the Makot he took, what part he left out, how did he describe the Makot that he had. Notice that starting from the beginning, it's about the destruction of Egypt's economy. They couldn't drink. Their food was destroyed. Notice, Tfardeya is not here presented the way it is in the Parsha as a major nuisance, but rather as something that eats up the crops. And then the, the, the locusts eat up the crops. And the Barad destroys the crops. Now remember, the Barad in the Torah also kills the animals. But that's not what we have here. It's about the crops. Okay? And then in the second one, the Barad affects the animals. So it's like two steps. And then Dever, which of course is earlier in the sequence of Makot, but is about killing the animals. And then ultimately killing the people, the Bechorot. So there's a sequence here which rearranges the Makot from the order in which they happen, as reported in Sefer Shmot, but takes them in a sequence of destroying the produce on the ground then destroying the produce on the trees, then destroying the animals, and destroying people. Okay. And yet, three of them are left out. Kinim is left out, Shechin is left out, and Choshech is left out. Now, you could make the argument that none of them were really destructive. Could be. But Kinim don't seem to be any less destructive than Arov and Sfardea, because either you read them as nuisances or really actively hurting. So what's going on? So I'd like to suggest, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, aren't those three, Kinim, Shechin, and Koshik, aren't those three the last of all of the triplets? Uh Uh-huh, they are. Very good. And therefore, what do they have in common? Uh, Well, according to the famous Chalukah of the Maharal, they were, they came without warning. Well, it's not the Maharal, it's God. Right, it's right there in the Torah. You're right, absolutely. There is no warning given to the third of each sequence. Bechor Shor says that as a as a kind of a stylistic pattern, but you see it in the Torah. Remember, the makot come in sets of three. And we're going to come back to that in Kufay also. They come in sets of three, and Dam uh, Paro tells Moshe to warn Paro at the river publicly with a message. Svardea is Boel Paro. Come into Paro privately in the palace and warn him about Svardea without a message. And Kinim, there's no warning at all. Tell Aaron, hit the ground and bring out Kinim. Dever starts again. Meet at the, in uh, Arov starts again. Meet at the, in Paro at the river in the morning and tell him, and this is the message, Ani Hashem Dever, there's a warning, Boel Paro, and Shechin, just go throw the coal up in the air. 
whatever the coals up in the air and and uh, and it'll turn into Shechem. Our Barad, again, at the end of this week's parasha, go to Paro in the morning. Tell him, Arbe, Boel Paro, that's next week's parasha. Arbe, and Choshech, no warning at all. You're right. Why would that be the case? So I think if you think about what this parak's about, it makes all the sense in the world. This parak is about Am Yisrael not listening to God. And so here we are describing, the Mishorer the, the is describing Makot Mitzrayim as an example of people who get afflicted by God and don't listen. And so here, the message is, they were warned about Tom. They were warned about Arov. They were warned about Tzvardeah. They didn't listen. Look what happened to them. And the final piece, of course, is Makat Bechorot. And therefore, those Makot, which may have served a different function, as we see by the fact that there's no warning. They may have been stam huranut, as the Bechor Shor likes to say, as opposed to an educational piece. That's the way this forno, the direction this forno takes. Um, therefore, they don't really belong here because they're not a model for what the Meshur is trying to do to, uh, to exemplify, which is, I send Nevi'im, I give you messages, you don't listen to the messages, and you're punished. So those three really don't fit. But now we look at Kufay and it becomes more difficult. Parenthetically, uh, if you could see, and I just brought a few comments of the Rishonim here, everybody's bothered by the Makot's presence here and what's here, what's not here, etc. And so, for instance, uh, the Ibn Ezra addresses why Kinim and Shrin and Choshech are not there because of a different reason. He has, um, he has that uh, because nobody was actually hurt in those things. Right? And then he says Dom is first because Dom was first in the in the story, right, etc. Right, as you can see here in the Rishonim, you can take a look at it that uh, that everybody and of course the Malbin Kedarko has a longer piece where he goes into uh, into the distinction between these. But when you look at Kufhei, it becomes a little more difficult. And Kufhei again is of a very very different stripe. It is part of it's the first of three sequential Pirkei that describe God's providence in helping Am Yisrael. There's not really a mention of sinfulness on the part of Am Yisrael, etc., but rather of God's constantly moving in to help and turning things upside down to provide that help. And now watch what happened. Which sounds a lot like Pasuk Mem Gimel and Erechayin Chet. So to place the otot and moftim, Eretz Cham, state so on, two other names for Egypt. But notice here it starts with Choshech. He turned the water into blood. Same, Almost the same phrase as you had in, in Ein Chet. He killed the fish. Now, Sharatz Artsam Tzfardim. Now you notice Tzfardea shows up as Yishalach. God sent Tzfardea in Ein Chet. Here it is, the earth spewed forth Tzfardim. Now is that what, what, the, what we read in this week's Parsha? It's not. What do we read in this week's Parsha? Where did Tzfardim come from? The water. The, the water. But here it's Sharat Satsam Tzfardim. Why? They go into the, into the palace. And now, Amar Vayavo Arov I'm reading it with Tamiami Krat. So he said, meaning God declared, and Arov came, and then Kinim Bechol Gvulam. 
We're going to read it that way for a few minutes, but we're going to come back to it. Natan Gishmehem Barad. He turned their rain into hail. Eislavot Baratzam. Fiery, fire shoots in their land. Vayach Gafnamute Natam. Again, the Gefen is mentioned in both. Their vines are destroyed. By Shaber Eitzkulam, breaking the trees. Amar Vayavo Arbe, Vyelek Menuis Park. Yelek is another name for Arbe. All these locusts came. Vayochal Kol Eisav Artsam, Vayochal Priyad Matam, they ate everything up. And then Vayach Kol Bechor Artsam. Okay. So what's here and what's missing? Deber and Shrein are missing. Deber and Shrein are here, are missing, which means we have eight of them. And there doesn't seem to be a good reason because you can make the argument it's ones they weren't warned about. Then what's Kinim doing here? Right, you understand that, that there doesn't seem to be a, a, an explanation for this. And then you take a look at this comment of Sforno. Sforno, in commenting on Arov Kinim. Amar Vayavo Arov Kinim. Now I'm reading it a little differently. If I read it with Tamami Kray, it's Vayavo Arov, Amar Vayavo Arov, stop. Kinim Bechogvulam. He reads it as follows Vayavo Arov Kinim, meaning Ta'arovet Shel Mine Kinim. The word arov, of course, doesn't mean anything specific. It means a mixture. So a mixture of what? Which is why there's this big machloket of whether makat arov was wild animals or, or insects. But arov kinim, he says, means just a bunch of different kinim. Komro kinam, describing makat kinim. There's all sorts of kinim around. Meaning that he's reading that this line is about kinim only. Now, what's missing? Um, middle three. Or, or of, exactly. They're missing. You have Dam Tzvardea Kinim. You have Barad Arbech Choshech at the beginning and Makat Bechorot. Why? So I have to remember that this is not a, repro- a rebuke. This psalm is not about Am Yisrael's sinfulness, etc. This is praise for Hashem who engages the world in order to save Am Yisrael, in order to promote Am Yisrael, to move things along for Am Yisrael. And at every step of the way, there's something that gets turned. There is a slave who becomes a king, as the example. But throughout, you'll see examples like that. Notice the language here. Now that's like the, the other parak. He turns the water into dam. But now watch this. Sharats are sons Fardim. He he gets frogs to come out of the ground. When the text has the water. But here it's out of the ground. Idea is he'll turn the ground into water. And now, Kinim typically stay where they are, they spread throughout. What notice Lamed Bet. Natan Gishmehem Barad. He turns rain into Barad. In other words, the theme of these makot. Is these are Marcot, where HaKadosh Baruch Hu is changing nature. You think about it, Dam, wow, the water turns to blood. Sfardea, the way described here, is suddenly the ground is spurting forth Sfardea. Suddenly the ground is giving forth Kinim. And then you go to Barad, rain is turning into Barad. Suddenly, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but uh, a picture of a tree, a picture a before and after picture of a tree in Yerushalayim in 1915 during the locust plague, a before and after 10 minutes or so. It's crazy. To totally wipe out the tree. They swarm in, and it's like everything's changed. 
And some people report that in the locust plague, in the middle of the day, it looks like night because they, they cover the sky. Now, the arov, what's arov? A wild mixture of either animals or bugs, but there's nothing transformative about it. What's dever? Dever is a disease. There's nothing transformative about it. And neither is shechem. So what the Mishorer here did was to handpick those makot, especially if we follow Sforno's read of Arov Kinim, handpick those makot which supported his rhetorical agenda, which is to speak about HaKadosh Baruch Hu's engaging and changing nature on behalf of Am Yisrael. This is not a rebuke. And therefore the issue of warning, not warning, is irrelevant. The issue here is the nature of the makot. So he specifically picks out the seven makot meaning 1, 2, 3, and then 7, 8, 9, 10, in which, 10 has got to be there, because that's the big one, of course, in which nature was changed. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu stepped in and changed nature on behalf of Am Yisrael. So what we did is we took a look at the issue of the number of Makot. We started with the base that we start, we all assume, which is 10. We see where we got it from. We got it either from Biyar Chazaka, etc., or Yossi gets it from the finger, etc., all different sources we have for it. But again, there is no mention of Esther Makot in Tanakh itself. And then we saw the famous Midrashim that expand them out uh, to, to 40 or to 50 in Mitzrayim, and then, of course, times five at the Yom, because of the finger and the hand. And then we went to Pirkei Tilim, and we saw that not only are there not 40 or 50, there's not even 10. But, of course, the reason is that's the difference between narrative and song. In narrative, you want to get all the information. That's what Sefer Shemot's job is. That's sort of what Sefer Dvarim's job is, although it's a story, historiosophy. It's got an agenda of promoting a particular kind of allegiance and commitment. But in Tehillim, we're praising God. And so which part of the Makot do we take? Which part of our history do we take? Who, which historic characters are mentioned? Moshe, Avraham, Bilam. These are all mentioned in different places in our literature, but why are they mentioned? They're mentioned because they promote the rhetorical agenda of that psalm or of that piece. And so you have to take a look at what the larger picture is. To understand why these seven and only these seven makot are mentioned in Ein Chet, you have to look at the whole picture. It's about a rebuke. It's about us not listening to Hashem's warnings. And therefore, the makot in which there was a warning and the Mitzvim didn't listen are mentioned. And in Tilim Kufhei, it is about God's overwhelming providence and impacting on nature and changing it to benefit on Yisrael. And therefore, the seven examples are from Makot Mitzrayim our Rakhodesh Baruch Hu did exactly that. And the three, the middle set, as we call it, in which there wasn't a change in nature, there was just a driving of nature in a destructive way, are left out because they don't really fit the agenda of that parak.